Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. Hey, Faith Walkers. Thank you for joining us today on the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but as a mindset coach, what interests me most is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today, we have Catherine Adai. She's a mother, a wife, the CEO, and award-winning designer of clothing label Kayla K. With a focus on her Ghanaian roots, she emphasizes the beauty in prints and colors that come from and represent Africa through the Ankara textiles. She's been featured on City Line, which is Canada's longest running daytime talk show, Flair Magazine, Globe and Mail Canada, and more. And her pieces have been spotted on actresses like Busy Phillips, KJ Smith, Yvette Nicole Brown, and changemakers like Bozoma St. John. So please welcome to the show, Catherine Adai. Hi. Hey, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. Oh, thanks for having me. No, I love talking and sharing me. And if I can inspire somebody, fantastic. I love it. I love it. And I just have to say before I even go any further, I remember first seeing your pieces on I believe it was Facebook. And I was like, I need these in my life. I need them in my life. And (laughs) I seen some of your pieces after on a few of the African Fashion Week runways. And I was like, okay, I need to know who she is because I need, (laughs) I need these in my life. (laughs) So I just wanted to say you make some beautiful pieces. Thank you. And I I have a long standing relationship with African Fashion Week. So I'm not surprised that that's probably where you would have seen me first. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done the, the show many times. Um, it's a great collaboration between myself and them, you know, the city of Toronto. So thank you. I love it. I love it. So I like to start the show with an icebreaker question. Okay. Because I feel like as women, we have so many different titles that we go by, but a title that we don't give enough recognition to is our name because our names have meaning. So when someone Mm. calls us our name every day, they're basically declaring that meaning to us. So my question for you, Catherine, is do you know what your name means? So Catherine, I do know what my name means and I'm drawing a blank on it. Oh, no problem. Well, guess what? I got it for you. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) You're right there. So I'm sure with every origin, they say that names have different meanings in different cultures and and so on. But when I Googled it, the name Catherine had a Greek origin, which meant pure. So every time someone is saying your name, they're declaring that you are pure. Yes, in many ways. (laughs) (laughs) To me, that's significant because most people that know me, if they had to say that and kind of define, put me and pure together, I've been told I have a very pure heart Mm. um, and a very pure mind, just in the sense of being very open and sharing and caring and very, very non-judgmental, just super open-minded. So it's interesting that, oh yeah, it means pure. Awesome. Mm. I love it. I love it. So my first question to you, Catherine, is what did you want to be when you were a little girl? Ah, I wanted to be a dentist. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. So how did 
you go from wanting to be a dentist as a little girl, and I mean, yeah. you have a degree in like health informatics, and yeah. you've worked the corporate ladder for 10 years. So yeah. how did you pivot to deciding you want to be a fashion designer? Pivot. I don't even think so much that I pivoted as much as I think God really just picked me up and put me somewhere else. Mm, yeah, yeah. So growing up, I was always interested in healthcare. My mother was a nurse for many years. Um, and she worked in pharmaceuticals thereafter until she retired. So I've always been around or been exposed to and had interest in healthcare. And mm-hmm. um, nursing wasn't my thing. Being a doctor wasn't my thing. But I, for some reason, always liked and looked at people's teeth. Weirdest thing. <laughs> so even when I'm talking to somebody, I'm staring at their teeth. I know. It's okay. I stare teeth. at their eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> And like they're talking, I'm literally just looking at their teeth. And sometimes when I'm talking to somebody, that's the first thing I notice. I'm like, oh, let me pause. You have really nice teeth. But anyway, mm-hmm. so I wanted to be a dentist growing up. Took all the courses in high school to get prepared when I go into university. Went into university in health sciences. And then I discovered that they had a program there called Health Informatics. I went to the University of Western Ontario. Got into first year and then said, oh, like all these health science courses really they're not diving with me I'm not liking them very much and I have you know after I graduate I have to go to dental school like the thought of all those years of schooling mm-hmm. and then I had a, a stint in a dentist office it was a family friend of ours and she allowed me to just kind of come in and shadow her uh, it was two weekends I shadowed her and I was like nope <laughs> I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought that I mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. Um, I'm, it's not as I'm very customer service focused and mm-hmm. I thought that that would just be an opportunity for me to really interact with people. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really much interaction except looking them out. And her job even was really, her understudies would do most of the work and she kind of goes in and checks their teeth to make sure everything's fine, right? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted, I, I didn't want that. I wanted a career more where it was more interaction and not so siloed, I guess. But I just felt like she goes into this building, it's just her and these two ladies on her staff, and it's just cranking in, cranking out, cranking, cranking out. I didn't like that environment. I, and I literally shadowed her only for two weekends. Mm-hmm. I remember going home and saying, Mom, this is not for me. And she's like, okay, that's fine, you know, you know, pivot some, something else in the healthcare field because you're already mm-hmm. in this program. And I've always liked computers. I've always been pretty good at it, and I've always had a knack kind of her business. So health informatics was a combination of health sciences, computer science, and business. So I have a, a, a major in health sciences, a minor in computer science, and a certificate in writing to make up this fantastic program. I loved it. Got a job right after I graduated as a health information analyst mm-hmm. uh, downtown with a major hospital downtown. Worked there for many years and then moved out to Brampton when we had our baby. Continued to work there. So then I worked in the industry for 10 years. And in that time frame, maybe like gosh, maybe six years or so in, it's kind of when the fashion bug kind of kicks in. I've always had a lot of clothes. I've always loved fashion, always loved magazines, but never, 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 never in my wildest dreams that I ever think that I would leave my job and become a fashion designer full-time. Actually, I really enjoyed working in my career and I loved my job. I had the opportunity to do presentations and I was talking in front of people, meeting important people and going to government meetings. Like, you know, when you graduate from university and you have like a pretty high profile hospital job, mm-hmm. that's literally what it was, you know? But after So did you have sewing experience none. prior to? None. none. Zero. Zero. Wow. So my mom actually bought me my first sewing machine 
just when I had Michaela, our first daughter, by my sewing machine. And I say this all the time. I think it was really because she wanted me to, like, hem things and do alterations for her. I don't mm-hmm. think she really took it serious that I was going to turn this into anything. But right. I was complaining that the lady who was sewing my clothes at the time took forever to sew my clothes, and I was always last on her list. I think I was, like, her youngest client. So, you know, my clothes just weren't priority, and I was complaining because I was going to an event with my boyfriend then, who's not my husband. Mm-hmm. And I my clothes weren't ready and wanted to wear so my mom bought me a sewing machine and my kidney I bought a pattern from private class a book called sewing 101 and I taught myself how to sew okay so I have goosebumps right now Woo. Okay. <laughs> because okay when my mom came to Canada she was a fashion designer like she opened up her own location she was working downtown Toronto had her own spot like so me sitting as a little girl by her foot as she's on the sewing machine trying to use a needle and thread and put together doll clothes whatever but I was in that environment so you come from an environment where you your mom's a nurse you know you guys are into a a total different industry and you had no sewing experience and I need everyone who is listening to this podcast right now as you are listening I need you to go and either google or go to Kayla K's Instagram because (laughs) her pieces are the most phenomenal (laughs) Oh, thank you. pieces like the designs that you create added with the fabric and the colors I just have to say to you like they are jaw-dropping they are they are so beautiful they need to oh, be in designer magazines <laughs> they need to be on international runways everywhere I don't understand okay so you okay back up okay so you yeah, taught yourself yeah. how to sew share with us how Kayla K came about from the start like how you were able to turn your passion into the six-figure business so going to that first dress that I made which took me a whole month to make and we're going to this African um, wedding and I prior to that never really even wore our African attire or like our Ankara clothing Mm -hmm. so it's the first piece that I actually ever made Um, and I remember walking into the venue and everybody turned and looked at me and I said whoa okay so mm. I, I'm like, oh, no, maybe my hair is off or I don't know, maybe something is off. <laughs> I really immediately not think the worst. <laughs> yeah. Isn't, isn't that what we always think, right? I'm like, well, yeah. I, like, why are they staring at me? They can't be staring at me. What's, you know, what's happening? I'm saying to my husband, why are they looking at me? And he's like, I don't know. You look nice. <laughs> Men, right? Yeah. But that night I had so many people asking me, oh, who sold your dress? You know, where'd you get it from? Did you order it online? And I'm like, no, I sold it myself. And he was like, what? Like, oh, okay, we didn't know that you, that you were into sewing, so I have some fabrics. Can I bring it by? Can I get something custom made? And I was like, flat out, no. No, no, no. <laughs> not, I was not in the business of sewing for other people. I was not interested in sewing for anybody. I'm like, listen, I'm, just, I'm trying to become an influencer. Like, I'm sewing for myself, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, some I have going to go to and then some girlfriends of mine pressured me into making clothing for them and I remember Facebook was really popular then um, and they posted some pictures on Facebook and then it got like so many likes and people started e- emailing and messaging and, and still I was saying no I only spoke myself and friends I only spoke myself and friends so then when I had Michaela and I was on mat leave with her that's when I said okay you know what maybe I'll open it up since I'm home I'm on mat leave I need something to do because you, as a first-time mom, you have all this time on your hands. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nothing else to do. So I opened it <laughs> up to uh, um, other people and I started doing custom sewing. So what people actually don't know, Mackinney, a lot of people don't know, when I started the company, I sewed everything myself. Mm. I cut everything myself. I sewed everything myself. Sometimes the customers didn't have fabric. I sourced all the fabric myself. Um, and I did that for a couple of years until... I actually started the collection 
I remember I, my first collection, we shot it downtown Kensington Market, beautiful summer day. And I said, you know, let me put together these four pieces and see if any of my friends, maybe some close friends and friends of friends will buy some pieces. Mm-hmm. And it was a frenzy. I was like, oh, okay. Maybe I really <laughs> have something here. It's crazy because I put out a, who puts out a collection thinking no one's going to buy it? <laughs> I'm putting it out. Yeah, yeah. Just the, so, the self-sabotage just that we do as women. <laughs> and it was a beautiful collection and I was like oh you know what it's just for pictures maybe it'll just help me get my name on there because again still I wasn't thinking I'm going to turn this into a career because I'm going back to work I'm going mm-hmm. back to my job. I enjoy working and this is just a side thing that I'm doing and then I did the African Fashion Week so the first year they did their um, runway show mm-hmm. um, I was one of the feature designers and I was a part of their very first photo shoot. So that kind of helped solidify my name also um, in the community. And people started to hear more about me through that platform as well. I mm-hmm. still didn't think that it was a full company. It was me sewing clothing that I sell. Right, right. 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 You didn't look it at it as a, a business. No, no. Right. Uh, it, it wasn't even a, a, a brand. You know, it's Kayla Kay. It's named after my daughter and myself. And this thing that I put together and I'm kind of just chugging along. Mm-hmm. So the turning point for me, so I had Michaela, went back to work, still working, started taking orders though off of the collections that I put together. Turning point for me, I got a random call from this representative from CNN. Oh, wow. And I thought it was a joke, right? I'm like, why are you my phone number? I'm like, why are and I said, you know what? I said, okay, you know what? Put it in an email. Email me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If you're a scam, at least if it's an email, I can sift through it properly. Right. And she sent an email and she said she's writing from CNN Opinions and they're doing um, an article on up and coming African designers. Um, and they just want to talk to me to kind of get a sense of me and my brand and how I started, whatever, whatever. I said, okay, just email me. So the email, I said a question, to answer, didn't think anything of it, put it to the back of my mind, left it. A couple of weeks later, I guess, a couple of weeks later, uh, I get a link to the article and it was myself. <laughs> I remember there's another kind of designer also, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the brand, but another designer in there also. And we were part of the top 10 African brands to watch. Mm. And I said, oh, okay. Well, if CNN calls me, then I must be. <laughs> Forget that everybody else told me my stuff was great. If CNN can calling, then it must be something fantastic. So that, so putting that article out there along with the, you know, the work with Africa Fashion Week, the custom work I was doing and the collection work that I was doing, that's when we really said, my husband and I really sat down and said, you know what? Catherine, you really have something great here. You love doing it. You're super talented at it. So one, you need to officially brand it. You know, you need to legally, you know, tell the government that you own, <laughs> that you own this, this company and mm-hmm. get your accounting together. So and that must have been circa, like, oh, I don't know, that was like 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it feels like a long time ago, but it really hasn't been that long. You know, I think that was probably the, the year that I met you through Africa Fashion Week yeah because I'm yes. thinking 2013 2014 yeah. it was around there yeah yeah so that's you know when everything kind of you know I built a website um I was taking international orders a lot of orders in the U.S. orders in the U.K. Um, the custom orders and the orders here in Toronto and I was like oh my god like I'm it's you know and it was admittedly it was overwhelming mm-hmm. because I felt like this wasn't what I was looking for it wasn't my intention to do. Right. 
Right. And I love my career and I want to be in that, but I'm so drawn to this side hustle that I have, but I'm not sure if it's strong enough to parlay into a full career. Mm -hmm. So I'll keep working full time and keep doing the side hustles on the side, but I was getting burnt out, like a constant exhaustion, you know, the pressure to come up with a new collection every season Mm -hmm. and customers and fashion shows. And I did Africa Fashion Week in New York and we started doing things like internationally and it was overwhelming and it was a lot and people don't see that they see mm-hmm. of course not they do, of course not you know they see your pictures on social and um they think everything's fantastic i remember when i just this year when i was at african fashion week and another patron came up to me and she said oh my god you must be the hardest working african fashion designer that i know <laughs> she said, you always come out looking flawless and i said to her you have no idea you have no idea what it took for me to get here First of right. all, the, the hair and makeup unit took for me to get here and how exhausted I am right now. Right. Like I wish people really got a visual more from entrepreneurs, all the hustle and heart we put into every day mm-hmm. for us to post a picture. But anyway, so chugging along, taking orders, doing all this international stuff, and then had two more children. <laughs> <laughs> Life's not busy enough, as, like me. As if you weren't tired enough? No, of course not. You know, I have two more children because I'm married, and that's what married people do. <laughs> they have two. <laughs> I have two more kids. And by that point, though, um, when we had baby Janae, that's when, for me, I had reached a point where I knew I had had enough of the nine to five because, from a business standpoint, the numbers were showing me that it's a viable company, obviously, all these years, and that I could do it full time. Customer and consumer support showed me that the brand had longevity, you know, just industry support, people that I've met in the industry, um, the awards I've won, like all of those things together showed me that, you know what, now is the right time for me to kind of parlay out of doing this full-time job as a health information analyst and focus on running the company full-time. I actually felt like with or without me, whether I do or I don't, my company was going to scale anyway, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it's like on this train and it was going anyway and I needed to become the conductor. <laughs> yeah. Is that become the conductor or jump off quick? <laughs> that's, it. that's my analogy. No, really. It's, it's, yeah. I'm like, I, literally either I jump off and I, and I halt it yeah. or I got to get in front of it and I have to take control of it because the orders were still coming in. It was still overwhelming and something had to give. So either I had to give up my job, I had to give up my kids and my husband, or I had to give up Kayla K. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can only do two of, two of those three things, and um, the job lost out. So, <laughs> but it wasn't um, a super easy decision. Of course, there was a lot of talking with myself, my husband, my family. I explained to them what I wanted to do, and you know, they said they're surprised. I'm actually not even doing it full time yet, and they don't know how I managed to keep going for so long. And this was in 2017 when we mm-hmm. um, had the baby, and just as I was about to get back to work. I called my boss and I said, unfortunately, I will not be coming back. Mm. Mm. So what advice would you give to another woman who's considering leaving her nine to five to pursue her dreams right now? I would say that make sure your timing is right. And, and when I say make sure your timing is right, don't, you know, if you don't like your job, that's another thing. But don't quit your job without really knowing whether your company is going to be viable or not and knowing exactly where you stand in the company. I mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have done it any sooner from a financial standpoint, because I really wanted to make sure, really need to make sure that the numbers would work. 
because mm-hmm. I, I, you have a life, you need to live and you need to support and sustain yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so for as long as you can manage the two and build your side hustle up to the point where you're financially capable of living off of it. I think if, if you were to jump off from your nine to five into your side hustle, but it's not up to par to a point where you can financially sustain or sustain yourself, you probably still will succeed. It'll just be longer and might be a little bit harder. No, totally, totally makes sense. You spoke to how the company basically evolved on its own. I want to touch on two things because one, you know, you weren't even interested in sewing for other people. You only wanted to sew for yourself and others, which I totally get because I originally went to college for aesthetics and spa management and I will do my own makeup. And I've had people call me and message me and ask me to do their makeup for weddings and events. And I'm like, yeah, nope, I'm not a makeup artist, not doing it. Thanks. I'm good. I'm cool. I'll do my own. I'll keep it there. But I totally get where you're coming from with that. But you see how you didn't know how to sew and your mom gave you the sewing machine and you design your own dress and it takes on a life of its own to other people wanting this from you and you not recognizing the gift and the talent that you have and CNN (laughs) wants to feature you. And then you get all of these orders internationally. Like I think as women, even when God is showing us that we're gifted mm-hmm. and talented mm-hmm. at something, like our self-doubt is so strong sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. I'm getting so much from it because I'm I'm in my season of doubting my own gifts at the moment. So I get it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a huge point for people to take away from your story. And it wasn't even over this huge long period of time where, you know, your mother gave you a sewing machine 20 years ago. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. that long ago and you were mm-hmm. self-taught and you were doing all of this. The other thing that I wanted to touch on was where you spoke about, obviously, because your pieces are beautiful, no matter who they're on or where they're posted, what picture it's taken in, it it shows, it's beautiful. So everyone's seeing all these beautiful images online and assuming life is perfect. And one of the things that I touch on with a lot of the women that come on the show is as women, as successful women, as moms and wives and all these other hats that we wear, people, no matter what part of your life you share on social media, they will assume that it's perfect because that Mm -hmm. snapshot of that moment and Uh you coming on the show for the podcast, what I love to draw out of people is for you to be transparent and share that. Yeah. You may see that pretty picture there, but here Mm -hmm. is what I had to go through to get to that one click (laughs) that you see on that image there. Here's the backstory. Here's the dirt that I had to dig myself out of here. So all the women that are listening that are considering entrepreneurship or that are in a season of entrepreneurship where life is rough for them and they feel like they're alone, they're like, oh my God, okay, this is real. The adversities are part of the journey. The failures are part of the journey. You have to go through this stuff. But look at these women who are still pushing through, who are still succeeding, who are still making a mark in this world and leaving their footprint despite everything that they Uh have to go through Uh behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. that's beautifully said like it's a great summary of it and it's really not for the faint of heart mm-hmm. uh, you know what I didn't even probably think that I had the heart to become an entrepreneur because <laughs> it's not anything that I ever aspired to do or to be mm-hmm. um, but when life or God or you know however you ever phrase it pulls you in a certain direction which mm-hmm. is how I felt and even when you're trying to get away from it if it's meant for you in life I think you can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. I n- never in my wildest dreams or my husband's dreams or my mother's or my family's did they think that Kayla Kay would be full-time and it would be as big as it is. 
because mm-hmm. um, I didn't grow up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, God had a different plan, um, which I'm very, very grateful for. And I'm glad that I, whether I listened or he forced me, <laughs> you know, I, I'm at the point um, where I am, but to being transparent and you mentioned that we, you know, we both wish that people really saw the hustle and heart from entrepreneurs more. So when I was quitting my job and I've been asked this before, like, you know, was it an easy, did you wake up? It was an easy decision. And you can woke up the next day and went about your business. And I said, no, I actually cried. Mm-hmm. I cried because I was still nervous. I was still mm-hmm. anxious. Even after putting in my resignation letter, as you know, there was a moment of, oh, what did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> <The> remorse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe I should. Ah, Eve, was that the right decision? And there was, there were some tears for the fact that I just spent the last 10 years of my life in this industry that I went to school for and that I thought I was going to ride or die in, you know, and I feel like mm-hmm. that chapter of my life was closing. And then I cried a bit of happy tears of being relieved that I can now focus on growing my company full time with all my hustle, and all my heart and not feel like I'm being pulled in so many directions. Mm-hmm. And I slept the next day and I slept everything off and woke up day two. <laughs> yeah, I needed, I needed uh, a mental pause to process what happened and to process what the future of KLK really was at that point and to put, mm-hmm. you know, pen to paper and really plan that out. And then woke up day two and I hit the ground running. I love that you broke down how you felt the fear and still did it anyway. Because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's the biggest lesson that I want people to walk away from. When you see stuff online and people like to make comments that, oh, I wish I could do what you're doing. Or I wish I could do public speaking. Mm-hmm. Or I wish I could write a book. Or mm-hmm. I wish I could start a clothing line. You can do all of these things. And they're like, no, I'm too scared. Yes, so am I. But mm-hmm. we're doing it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> It's feel the fear and do it anyway. It doesn't mean the fear is not going to be there. You push through it and that's where the rewards come from. That's it. That's it. It's very scary. And you stare fear in the face. You know, and I, I have this odd relationship with fear because I really think it's relative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a word that I actually don't, I don't like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think for me, it was not even being afraid. It's, it was more of self doubt mm-hmm. yep. anxiety yeah you know for me as opposed to being scared to actually do something it, it was more of can I do it not yep. you know I, I think it's going to fall apart or you know it's going to fail and like you said it's just us always in our heads I'm um, knocking ourselves down before we really even start the race of being able to achieve something mm-hmm. and I've stared that thing in the face many many times many mm-hmm. times when I quit my job, when I opened the boutique, you know, like in both those instances, a bit of anxiety naturally kicked in and, mm-hmm. it's, you know, a matter of understanding why you're doing what you're doing, Yes. focusing on why you're doing what you're doing and pushing forward with why you're doing what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. I agree with you about the word fear. For myself, I use the acronym false evidence appearing real, but I look at it as face mm-hmm. everything and rise. Because mm-hmm. every time I felt anxious about something or, you know, had that fear of moving forward with it, like you said, you have to assess the situation, assess what it is, what it is you're afraid of, assess, you know, how you're going to move forward. And once you do that and you break through that terror barrier, that's where the rewards come from. That's where everything that you really want is on the other side of. When you spoke to when you were going through the emotions, crying about leaving your job and the anxiety of opening the boutique and stuff like that. I wanted to touch on the point where you spoke about you slept it off. I am 
just like you when it comes to those type of situations where instead of me acting out of emotion and freaking out or or doing whatever, I need a nap or I need mm-hmm. to actually just mm-hmm. go to sleep. Let me sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's like, to me, it's like, okay, God's saying, all right, okay, go have a nap. I got this. Let me work out the how for you. <laughs> when you wake up, <laughs> things we'll, will fall we'll into, place. Yeah. into place. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. you're in that state of mind, I found being an entrepreneur, I've made many times poor decisions mm-hmm. because I was anxious. I was rattled. I was you're acting clearly. out of emotion. That's it. I'm acting out of emotion. And the, you know, and as a point to all entrepreneurs, when you're faced with a situation like that, there's nothing wrong with saying cause. Mm-hmm. I need to go back. I need to go back and think about it. I need to go and nap. Mm-hmm. And when I wake up, I'll reconnect and let you know, let you know whatever decision or whatever I decided to do. Because um, many times where I've done that, the outcome was not what I wanted. And I right. said, you know, had I paused and thought clearly, I probably would have done something else or would have done it differently. Right. So you spoke about never in a million years did you think that you would be building this designer brand and it would be so powerful. So one question that I have is I've seen your pieces on so many actresses and powerhouse women. So for mm-hmm. those women who are thinking, okay, I'm just starting out as a designer, indie designer, nobody knows who I am. Like you getting your pieces on those powerhouse women, was that just a natural evolution of the recognition of the brand getting, I guess, it expanding online or going viral or was that something that you had to proactively go after so it's both the majority is um god is good the majority situations were people reaching out to me or as having some kind of a connect but there were instances where i or my team sent an email or we sent a dm but you can't sit there and wait for someone to connect with you right right so if you want to dress a celebrity if you want to get on a certain show um, you want to appear somewhere, you have to do the legwork of reaching out, whether it's by email, by phone, by DM or whatever. Yes. Um, the crazy thing about that is you may not get a call back. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you may mm-hmm. not get an email back or not, at least not in the time frame that you want to get connected back with. And, you know, a couple months later, somebody might reach out to you or whatever. But I've, like you said, I've had the pleasure of dressing many uh, of the women and some of them have been us reaching out to their stylists. Mm-hmm. Or assistance or them reaching out to us. I think that's a good point for people that are listening to take away. If you want something, and especially if you want to dress a particular person, or in my case, even if mm-hmm. I want to interview a particular woman who is at a level far beyond where I think I'm capable of being within the next six months or a year, what have you, it's your pitch and it's being specific in your ask, you know, and it's not necessarily reaching out to that person all the time. It, like you said, reaching out to their stylist, reaching out to their assistant. Yes, exactly. Because those people usually have people that you have to get through before you even get there. So it's knowing who the gatekeepers are, knowing who the connect is to them. I think that's very important because I have many people ask me all the time, oh my God, how were you able to get this person on your show? How are you able to get that person on your show? I'm like, it's pitching to the right person Mm -hmm. or knowing who is closest to them or who is connected to them that is reachable and sometimes like you know there have been people that we stalked on instagram for a while because you know i really wanted to dress this particular person or whatever and so whether it's a few dms kind of commenting on their posts so that your name pops up 
frequently when you do send them a DM or you send an email, they recognize that, oh, I've seen that somewhere before. Yeah. Of course, in your pitch, you're offering something, not necessarily going for an ask, right? Or in my case, at least offering up a piece or whatever. Yeah. And in my particular case, too, being prepared for that when you're offering the something, you're gifting it, right? Yes. So you're going to be prepared for the fact that you're probably not going to get it back. Right, of course. Being, yes. yes, and being okay with that. So flushing all of that into the realm of, as a fashion designer, the realm of your business and your budget and all of those. But I think they, I mean, in terms of celebrities, so they have a lot of influencers who, this is what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, so depending on what level of influencer or celebrity you want to reach, it, some influencers might be easier to connect with um, than the celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that, and I've even met some of them in person, and I found that they are humans just like us. Yep. They are people just like us. Mm-hmm. And when you meet them, you're like, oh my God, you're, you know, maybe you're exactly like I thought you were going to, you were on social or you're not at all like why I thought you were on social, but it's nice to meet you anyway. And you realize that we're all really the same, right? Right. So yes. you won't know so, unless you pitch, you won't know unless you ask or unless you offer something. Yes. That point that you made about social media, which is how I've made a lot of my international connections, is you interact with them online first. You know, you're always commenting Mm -hmm. on their stuff, liking Mm -hmm. their stuff, so they get familiar with your name. That way, when you Mm -hmm. slide into the DM or send an email, it gets open because they're like, oh, hey, I know that name. That's, you know, recognizable. I had someone asked me recently, how the heck was I able to interview Arian Simone? I had her on in episode 48, but Mm -hmm. she recently announced um, a project with, and I'm her name is like, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. She played Rudy on uh, the Cosby show. <laughs> but the two of them, yeah, so the two of them. Keisha Knight Pulliam? Yes, yes, yes. There we go. So the two of them just released their $5 million project to invest and support Black-owned female entrepreneurs. So everyone's mm-hmm. like, how were you able to interview her? And again, <laughs> I followed her for years on social media. And so when I slid into her DMs to say, can I share your story on my podcast? She's like, yeah, sure. Here, email my assistant. There you go. It wasn't, it was super easy, but people are afraid mm-hmm. to approach people because they think that they're superhuman. They're human beings. Yes. They're yes. human beings. Yes. And fear again, quote unquote, fear of being rejected. Yes. Um, or not getting a response and looking like, an, looking like an idiot, right? But I found in my industry or just as an entrepreneur in general, you can't be afraid to put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. And I've come to a point where I'll, put myself out anywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, if you really want something and you want it that bad, you'll go for it. And once, like you said, once you've got faced a few fears in the face and you've gotten past it and you look mm-hmm. back and you realize what was I one, what was I afraid of in the first place? Right. And two, how easy was that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. All, all you did was send her a DM. Look how easy that was. And she was like, yes. <laughs> but you would, have, you would have been sitting there going, oh my gosh, she's not going to read the DM. I'm, I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm going to come across like a stalker girl. And I'm not, no, just right. what's the worst thing that can happen? Either they, don't, they don't respond or they say no. Exactly. And, and that's another thing. Cause I know a lot of women who I've coached through the podcasting process and they get they take it to heart when someone doesn't respond to an email, wow, okay. you know, for them yeah. to interview. And I'm like, don't look yeah. at it that way. If you're sending out one email and you're just sitting, hoping and praying that that one person is going to respond, you may never get a response. How about mm-hmm. you send out 30 emails and that way, if 10 to 15 of them respond, you've got something to work mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And so, as an entrepreneur in business, you can't take anything to heart. Nothing. Because half you. the time, it's not about you. Right. Half the time, it's not about you. People are busy, schedules. 
um, as a designer, I, um, you know what, okay, let me, let me be honest. Let me be honest with you. <laughs> I, I see where that's coming from. And in the beginning of my career, I had a bit of that where I thought, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Like, you're not responding back to me. My clothes are so nice. How could you yeah. not? Yeah. You know, and I'm offering you something. How could you not want it? But I, as a designer, in my uh, case, I had to understand that my clothes, as beautiful as they are, are not for everybody's taste. Right, right. So it just may not be for you. It may not be what you like. You may like, you know, a different type of style and aesthetic or whatever. And I cannot take that to heart because there are many other people out there who do and who will work with me or who will, you know, use it to sell their clients or whatever, but don't know. Don't take right. any of this to heart. Right. You're setting yourself back. Yeah. I love that. I love that point. Thank you. So you've built this business with like no donations, no investors. No. Would you do anything differently if you had the chance to go back in time? Mm, No. No. And here is why. I thought about it also. One, if my business had, let me back it up. Yes and no. So the no part (laughs) first, if my business had taken off any sooner than it did, mentally and emotionally I was a different person Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have succeeded as well as I have and I believe that the decisions I made leading up to so saying no to certain things saying yes to certain things you know whatever have led to the course of where I am now so if I was any younger if I had quit my job any sooner if I started the company any, any earlier, if I had said yes to certain projects that I said no to, I would have probably failed those projects. I wasn't mentally and physically ready to right. take it on. Um, the only thing that I probably would have done differently is when I was working full-time and running the business full-time, my thought of around scaling was just me putting in more hours. Right. So, so I would have I would have reached out to get the support that I needed earlier. So I could have scaled better earlier, if that makes Got sense. It. Got so it. In my mind, it was just me, and I can handle, it, I can handle, it, I can handle it, and that turned out to be a, a poor decision. And I didn't get the people that I um, that I needed in place to support the foundation of the business when it re- when it really took off. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was just me, and for that too, it was a bit of anxiety around bringing other people into my business I'm very type a handing things off to people I didn't want to have to do that I really thought I could do everything and in certain areas the business suffered a little bit thankfully I was able to come out of that and kind of catch things up but that's the only thing I would have done differently I would have sought help uh, or assistance and support when I needed it instead of thinking that I'm superwoman and I can do everything because I'm not and I can't that's like the perfect answer I'm listening to your response and your reason for saying no is because you you understand the importance of evolution and development because you need to be developed and ready as a human being in order for your business to flourish and not be affected. And then mm-hmm. your response of saying yes, understanding the importance of delegation and how we don't have to take on all the work for ourselves mm-hmm. and that we can be in business for ourselves, but we can't do it alone and that we need other people to help and support to grow the business. And people who those things, it's their area of expertise. Yes. And you I love know, I'm, that. Yeah, I, that's what they do. I'm not about in reinventing the wheel necessarily and if there's somebody where that's their focus and that's their career that's their job i'm all about paying somebody to do what needs to get done because they're an expert in that area and that'll right. help the company tenfold as opposed to me trying to spread myself thin and right. do everything and be everything to everybody so what inspires you the most about what you do oh man i love 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 meeting people and i love touching base with women and kind of hearing their stories about clothing 
as crazy mm-hmm. as that sounds, right? And I, I, I say <laughs> I say that I'm a fashion designer and I own this wonderful clothing company, but at the heart of it, I'm customer service. Mm-hmm. And without excellent customer service and without customers, I wouldn't have the company to be as big as it is. But I love connecting with women, hearing their stories about where they're going, where they're wearing the pieces to, the experiences they've had wearing Kilike. And that Kilike is not just clothing that you buy, but it's a lifestyle brand that you buy into. Mm. I also I want you to think of my company as uh, when you're going through different phases of your life, whether you had a baby, you're starting a new job, you're graduating, you're going to prom, you're revamping your wardrobe for the office, whatever. Like, let us be the clothing company that you go to to help you get dressed in all these areas of your life. So take us with you through all these moments of your life. And some people have. And that's what I love to hear. And I love to hear that you didn't just buy a KLK dress and you wore it once and it's just in your closet, but you bought a dress and you wore it and you went out and everybody talked about it and everybody was approaching you about it and you felt fantastic and you looked beautiful and, you know, you went home and you didn't want to take it off. <laughs> And, and it's funny how people, not that I have the boutique, people come to the boutique and they tell me these stories. And I'm like, I've never met you before. I have no idea who you are. <laughs> <laughs> but that is fantastic to hear. And I just love hearing stories about what they want to wear, where they're going, which also feeds into kind of the pieces that I put out in the future. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm all about making sure that we have pieces that represent women in current stages in their lives, where they're going, what they want to wear, what they want to look like, how they want to feel. So they feel like when they wear a Killer K piece, it wholly represents them as a woman. I love that. I love how no matter what industry a woman is in, it still comes back to stories, our stories, mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. our stories connect us and how we relate as women through our stories. I love it. I love it. So you spoke to loving the customer service aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. At the beginning, you spoke to, you know, your mom coming from service and being a nurse. I don't recall if it was an interview that I did or a podcast that I was listening to, but there was another woman who was speaking about when it comes to women from Africa, it's ingrained in culture to Mm. be of service. So many Mm. women are in industries of being a nurse or something that relates to service. And then that was connected back to a spiritual belief. So I'm just curious if you feel there's any connection or you see any direct correlation to how you enjoy serving and if that connects to your faith. Mm, that I've never heard that. That's interesting. But I would, <laughs> but it's a good question. And I would believe it in the sense of, well, I'm Ghanaian. So let me just speak to um, that country specifically. But a lot of, the Ghanaian women that I know are, if it's even, a, I don't know if it's, I even call it in an area of service, but very open, very warm, very mm-hmm. kind, very humble. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like the idea and they like making people feel welcomed. Mm-hmm. And they, my mom, whether it's when she was a nurse or just even being hospitable and having people in the home, like hospitality is a really big thing for us. Mm-hmm. And we just like people to feel comfortable around us. And I've had many people, um, you know, say to me, oh, my God, like, you're so much nicer in person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because you have a bubbly personality. And, and yeah, but cool. like, oh, in pictures, we don't get that for me, but you're so much nicer in person. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's great. But that's another, you know, part of the company. And I want people when they meet me 
I want them to understand that I'm relatable and that this company that I've built, uh, I really built it for them and I've built it for women. I've built it for people to feel like they can really be a part of it and me wanting to make sure that they're comfortable in their clothes and they're comfortable with the story and they're comfortable with, you know, the brand and buying into it. So I don't know if it's a, if a, a, a Ghanaian or an African thing, but a lot of Ghanaian women that I know, they are actually very, they have good hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very welcoming and they're very warm. So I'm going to ask my mom that question. Gonna, <laughs> yeah, I think it that. Yeah, I think the conversation was around, you know, how we find value in ourselves and how we feel, how we find our, our purpose. And it was mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. service. And we feel mm-hmm. like through the act of service and by doing things for others, the gratification that we receive from that and how it builds on showing love and like you were talking about the whole hospitality side of it and yeah yeah, so that's where originally the conversation was around but yeah I just thought I'd ask a big part for me too is I want these women and people people in general that come in contact with I want them I want to treat them the same way I'd like them to treat me right so if I walked into a store and I'm going to spend money at a store I would hope that the designer or the owner or the staff would be um, as kind to me and have as nice hospitality towards me as we have towards other people. Mm-hmm. And maybe that does come from in the back of my mind, you know, treating others the way I want to be treated. And, you know, un- the underlying cause of that is then I hopefully too would reap something positive, right? Because I was extending my hospitality to somebody else. But I, I love treating people the way that I would hope somebody would treat me. And I've had many women, you know, after we've had a conversation, they're like, oh my goodness, like, you're so nice. <laughs> and you know if if i wasn't thinking of buying the dress i'm gonna buy the dress now because right, i love right. the story and i love the way you interacted with me so let's go on the flip side now and can you speak to some of the adversities that you've had to experience to get to where you are today yeah from an um industry standpoint i mentioned this on the four to another platform i heard a lot of no's when i first started the brand Mm-hmm. So one that I can speak on was I was the only African brand, I believe they had two years straight. I participated in the Mercedes-Benz startup fashion show. Mm-hmm. And that was a um, a fashion comp- a competition. And they brought together, you have to apply online and you have to go in for a pitch and you have to go in for another pitch. I mean, like it was a whole to-do <laughs> thing with models and you have to create a whole collection with a whole big thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't sleep for two days before and I was so exhausted. But when I went in and they met me and they loved the pieces, they loved on the models and they said, we love you. Where are your clothes made? And I said, they're made in my house in my basement. I make them, I make them myself. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, from a scaling standpoint, that's terrible because there's no way if a store places an order with you right now, there's no way that you'd be able to fulfill that order in good time. And in good quality, because it, one, it's not machine cut, you know, like you're cutting every piece one by one. So in terms of right. sizing, quality, you know, that would be terrible. And they said, we love you, but you need to go back and think about how you want to scale your company. This was 20, probably 2013. And they said, you need to go back and think about how you want to scale your company, what you want it to really look like, and then come back to us and see if we'll, we'll consider you again. And I remember being so bummed. And I was like, what are you talking about? I have such a, uh, I have great products. They're beautiful. Like I'm a go-getter. I'm young. I'm fine. Like you know, what, you know, what is it that you know that? Why are you turning me down? Um, years later, I look back on it and I said, you know what? They they didn't turn me down. They actually did me a favor right. because if they had put me through, I would not have succeeded. 
Mm-hmm. I would, you know, based on where I was mentally and emotionally and just with the business and doing everything by myself and not being able to scale properly, it wouldn't have been the right time for me to scale. So as much as at that time I thought that was an adversity and it really, <laughs> I, 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 when I say I was crushed, I thought that as most entrepreneurs think, like, you know, when an opportunity kind of comes and passes you, you think that's the only opportunity that's mm-hmm. ever going to come to you. Yep. And you beat yourself up for days and days and days. Because uh, you, you think that's the best opportunity of life that's and you'll it. never get it again. <laughs> you'll never get it again because nobody else is going to look at the clothes and no one's ever going to buy the clothes <laughs> and they were going to make or break me, right? That's mm-hmm. literally what I thought at the time. But, you know, thankfully that turned out obviously not to be so. But that I've also, through the course of business and growing, spiritually growing, mentally growing as a businesswoman, um, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs have said this too, if, if you can consider it an adversity, I've had to part ways with many people mm-hmm. in life. Yep. Many, you know what I'm talking about, Mike, Amy. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's emotionally draining. It's mentally draining. And again, at that time when you're in it, it's, it's, you're feeling like all these adversities coming at you. You're losing friends and you're, you're struggling to kind of keep this thing afloat and, you know, keep a brave face and all these things. And you don't know, some of your friends don't understand why the friends are support. But again, looking back on it now, I've also gained so many other wonderful friends mm-hmm. who are in the same frame of mind. Yes. Um, who are as who are also go-getters, who are also entrepreneurs, or who understand. And yes. I have friends who have come through that fire with me and who've allowed me to work and scale and go crazy and fall apart and get back up and who supported me through the entire process who I can really say now are truly my friends. Yes. So those two things from a financial standpoint, I mean, as an entrepreneur, I think you're always counting your pennies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did a post on Instagram the other day where I said as an entrepreneur, and I've been an entrepreneur for almost 10 years, actually over yeah. 10 years now, but as an entrepreneur, there has been times where my bank account has had multiple six figures and there has been times where my bank account has been down to multiple cents. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's part of the journey. <laughs> it's part of the journey. And those times when it, when it has multiple cents, you think, all right, I got to, you know, I got to get up and I have mm-hmm. to go and figure something out and scale or, you know, do something. Mm-hmm. But you would know then in those instances, you know that something's coming up. Obviously, yes. it's not going to be as sense and sense or negative or whatever it is forever. Yes. Um, because it's just the high, high and low, you know, of being in business and being, you know, an entrepreneur. Yes. And mm-hmm. mentally, we're programmed. If we know how to make $100,000, even if we lost it today, we... Yeah we know how to make back a hundred thousand dollars. Once you've because done you've it, done you, it you know how to do yeah. it. Yes. And yeah. I wanted to go back to the point that you, you talked about, about losing friends, because I have a lot of women that message me, especially if they're new to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it blows my mind how many people are comfortable. I've never met them, but they flood to my DMs to share <laughs> their stories and insecurities with me. But I have many women that will message me and they are at a point where they either just started a business and they can't understand why people don't support them or why they're losing friends or why, you know, they feel so down. And Mm -hmm. I love that you brought that point up because I want them to understand it is a part of the process. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's a part of the process is because you need to make room. You need to make space for the greater good that is coming to you. And Mm -hmm. when you are evolving and when you're elevating as a person, not all of us grow at the same pace 
Yeah. So your energy, your spirit, your vibration, your, your mindset, everything is moving. And if you are holding on to the people that are not moving or not moving as quickly, they mm-hmm. technically, even in a spiritual, if you look at it spiritually, mentally, emotionally, they're pulling mm-hmm. you down to where they are. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you shouldn't feel angry or upset to let go and to move mm-hmm. forward. And it's not saying mm-hmm. that you will never speak to them or interact with them because once you've reached to a certain point, you can turn back and help them and pull them forward. But mm. if you are there trying to maintain that with those people that are pulling you down like weights, you won't evolve. And as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. if you want to be successful and you learn, um, like you said, when you, you make new friends that understand they have the same mindset, they understand your, your business struggles, they understand your life struggles, everything, because you guys can relate. When you make space for that, you will attract and manifest the people that you need around you. You're going yeah. to attract and manifest the new friendships that can help elevate you, that can support you, that can understand what you're doing in your business. You make space for the opportunities of other doors to open because when you're surrounded by people who are on a completely different vibration from you, they can't connect with where you're at. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's important for women to understand when you become an entrepreneur, don't be so inclined to hold on to everything that is around you. Because the people, places, and things that are around you now can only get you so far. Right, right. And if you're growing, and like you said, I like what you said about if everybody grows at different paces. One, yes. everybody grows in different ways. Yes. Um, you're growing towards your purpose. And yes. it's not the job of, or it's not also in the life of the other people to grow in your purpose. Right. You're growing in your purpose. Right. Um, you know, I think that's sometimes the mistake we make that we're growing and we're growing our businesses and we're evolving and we expect partners, friends to evolve with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that should not be an expectation. It's mm-hmm. not, it shouldn't be an expectation you put on them right. because that just puts unnecessary also pressure and stress on them too, right? And it's okay if they don't understand. Sometimes I felt like I was alone. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurship can be lonely, yes. Oh, so lonely. <laughs> um, and I'm like, I just need to bounce ideas off of somebody or... Am I the only one going through this and feeling this way? And I've met a lot of my entrepreneur sisters that I've met were through entrepreneuring networking events. Um, and, you know, we kind of became fast friends and they understand, right? Because they're going through, through a similar journey of yes. reaching their own potential. Yes. And it's okay if, like you said, you have to let go of some people because mm-hmm. you need to make space for newness. You need to yes. make space for new people. And you need to make, make space so you can really be full. Yes. And it hurts. It hurts because yes. you've been friends with certain people for so long and you both may not understand why the relationships come to where it's come to. But I found that let go and let God and don't stress about it. Like you said, like you'll never talk to each other again. Yeah. I'm sure your, your paths will cross when they need to. But in order for you to really fully walk in your purpose and achieve that, you really need to be aligned with people who are intended to be aligned with you. Yes, yes. People come into our lives for a reason, a season, or yeah. a lifetime. Not everyone That's is it. meant to be around for an entire lifetime. I will say the only the only two people that scaled with me were my mother and my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and God bless them because they didn't have a choice, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm moving up, guys. You got to come with me. You <laughs> so, with all that you do as a mother and a wife, and a business owner, 
Like, how do you take care of Catherine? What is what does Catherine's self-care routine look like? That's a fantastic question because honestly, Catherine is still learning mm. to have proper self-care. I'm so, as most entrepreneurs say, so devoted and so dedicated to Kayla Kay that there were days when I'm not eating properly, I'm not sleeping properly, I'm not taking, you know, I'm literally not taking care of, I'm not going to the gym, I'm not taking my vitamins, I'm not seeing my doctor, like I'm like, no, I, you know, I'm just so busy and so ingrained in this company, but I'm recognizing that, or I recognize if I'm not good to myself, I'm not good to anybody. Right. That actually fed into me quitting my job. My husband was saying that, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this. <laughs> you know, he said, we need you. We need you around long-term and mm-hmm. we can tell you're exhausted mentally. We can tell you're emotionally exhausted. Um, you know, you're kind of coming across a bit short-fused. So something's got to give. For him and my kids and my mother, who have been my biggest supporters and who I've said I love dearly and I need, I would not want to come across that way to them. So something had to give. And I'm not giving them up. So mm-hmm. I either had to give up the company or I had to give up working nine to five for my sanity, for my peace of mind, and for my family. Mm-hmm. So that actually was a big part of uh, me saying, you know what, I have to start to let go of working um, nine to five and focus on my company full time because I'm not happy. I'm, I'm spread thin. And in being spread thin, I wasn't doing anything 100%. I right. was 25% here, 50% here, 25% here. So nobody was really happy because I wasn't being full and 100% with them. So work wasn't getting done properly. I wasn't parenting properly. I, you know, I probably wasn't being the best wife at the time, like probably not the best businesswoman at the time. Because I was just, but in my mind, I just want to please everybody so bad. Mm-hmm. And I want to be everything to everybody. I want to be there for everybody. I want everyone to be happy. But nobody was happy. Pour from an empty cup. And nobody was happy. Ex- and I was miserable. Well, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm not happy. You know, so that really fed into having to leave corporate life and focus on the business full time. And now my self-care routine, girl, includes <laughs> massages. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing with my nails. Mm-hmm. So going to see my nail technician on a regular basis. Um, having me time. And me time could mean going out with my girlfriend's. Me time could mean, honey, I just need, you know, some time to myself. So I need the kids and you to kind of give me some space. Mm-hmm. Me time also really means now when my office hours have ended, my office hours have ended. Yes. So when I leave the boutique and I'm going home, I'm going home to be with my family. I need to be in that moment. I need to be there with them. Right. At that time, they need me at that time and yes. working with me the next day. I think that's a, a great point, that, that last one, because... I find, especially as new entrepreneurs, there's little balance. It's like you feel like you're working 24-7, even in your sleep, because you're trying to make things happen. But you need time to shut off. Yes. 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 You need time to switch hats. And like you said, your family needs you. You know, you have multiple hats that you're wearing. And if you're 24-7 in entrepreneur mode, you're dropping the ball on everything else. So you Uh need to set boundaries. And I remember when I first became an entrepreneur and I was selling real estate and I was like, I don't work on Sundays and I don't care. Like if you want an open house, we're doing it on a Saturday. And if you can't respect my boundaries, then it's mm-hmm. not going to work. I need Sundays for my family, my children, for church. I, I'm off on Sundays. Thank you. I will not even respond to an email. So unless your house is on yeah. fire. That's it. But even, even then, don't call me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll get the news on Monday. 
That's it. And because we feel like if I felt like if I don't respond, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose the money. I'm going to mm-hmm. lose the sale. I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, but it comes to a point when you recognize that uh, obviously as a, as a company, you need to make money and you will regardless, mm-hmm. you know, not responding to that one email at midnight, not going to cause that deal to fall apart. Right. Mm-hmm. They can probably wait till the morning and that I really need to set boundaries for people because otherwise we know people will then think or assume you must be available all the time. Mm-hmm. That's not fair to you. It's not fair to your loved ones. You know, like it's, it's, it's not fair all around. Um, so setting those boundaries of, I'm the same way too. So Sundays, Sundays, it's church days. We go and pray and we come home and we kind of relax the family. And Mondays I'm off. The, the boutique is closed. It's my self-care days. She's at a Saturday. Look for me. We'll be there. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. And it's also teaching people, I think, too, to plan themselves properly. Yeah. You know, my kidney is not available on Sundays. So I need to make sure that when I approach my kidney, you know, I'm approaching her properly and I've done my homework. Yes. Yes. So I came across this Reader's Digest article, which I've been uh, using for the show. But the article basically says that your favorite type of shoe says a lot about your personality. So we all know I'm obsessed with stilettos, hence the brand. So my question to you, Catherine, is mm-hmm. what is your favorite type of shoe? Is it like a boot, a running shoe, a stiletto, a pump, a flip-flop, a flat, a wedge? I don't yeah. know what's your favorite. My favorite is a stiletto. For years, even when I was pregnant, I used to wear high heels and stilettos all the time. I used to wear them to the grocery store. Because that I was just, it. yeah, that was just, <laughs> that was, you know, just my aura, right? But stiletto is my favorite. I like a really good stiletto pump. So women in flashy stilettos work hard and have excellent taste. They have major drive, determination, and standout work ethic. This is hum- someone who says yes before she says no. She's very willing and very open to possibilities. Ooh. She also really loves and values beauty. So she surrounds herself with beauty, whether it be in things, people, or how she lives. It does not have to be expensive. It just has to be pleasing to the eye. You walk in and you go, oh, what a lovely room. Or, oh, this is so inviting. She has a knack for being able to create an aesthetically pleasing space. That's me. (laughs) That is so All the women talking, I'm thinking about the boutique. And now everyone that walks in and says, oh, my God, I'd love this space. This is so aesthetically pleasing. That's fantastic. I love it because so far that article has been so on point. I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's so really the boutique, the boutique, which has also been a godsend and as much as I. So before I go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you online. Yes. So online, the business socials. Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook, Kayla K online. That's K-A-E-L-A-K-A-Y online. Um, or Instagram, my personal page is um, the Catherine Adai. Um, so the and the Catherine, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, A-D-D-A-I on Instagram. And the website is KaylaK.com. You can shop with us 24-7 online or drop by the boutique. Please drop by the boutique. We love um having new customers come in and that is at 857 wilson avenue in north york in north york toronto because i've got i think 50 percent of my audience is from the u.s so for all of you canadians (laughs) make sure you stop by the boutique and if you're in the u.s go online and order online or come if you're ever in in, um in toronto please stop by yes 
So the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And I usually ask a couple of reflection questions. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? I would have a billboard in heaven Mm. and it would say she lived a purposeful life. Love it. Mm. Wow. That was powerful. Okay. Because at the end of everything, I just want to know and for people to know that I've touched people in some way that they felt, even if it's just through clothing, through customer service, and that my life meant something obviously to people and uh, to my family and that I walk away at the end of life knowing that I lived as best as I could have, as I would have, as I wanted to, and that I'm going into the space full. I love it. Wow. Thank you, Catherine, for taking the time to share your story with us. I truly appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And to all my faith walkers out there, until next time, subscribe to our newsletter at awalkinmystilettos.com and grab a copy of one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you received value from today's show, share it with a friend that needs to hear Catherine's testimony. Be sure to screenshot this week's episode and tag us on Instagram. You can tag Catherine at Kayla K online or at Catherine Adai and tag myself at The Real Bikini Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.